From the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe, you're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we're going to learn how to grow a business during a pandemic. Man, do we have another rockin' episode for you all this very special Christmas week. First, I gotta announce, there will be no new episodes next week. We are taking the week off, you know, a little bit of a hiatus before Season 2 kicks off in January. I wanted to have a little bit of separation between Season 1 and Season 2, but, but, but... We will have our spectacular season finale for this season, the inaugural season of Shark Bite Biz coming out on Christmas Eve. And wow, do we have a special guest with an awesome story to talk about that day. And, you know, not only for the Christmas Eve episode or next episode, episode 50, but today's episode is also a smoking hot episode with an amazing, amazing woman that we have on today's show. So one theme that we've had throughout this whole podcast is that I think creatives end up usually being amazing business owners. The people that do things a little bit differently, you know, the type I'm talking about, people that you typically say think outside of the box. They are artists in their own minds and have found ways to express their artistic, creative minds through the craft of business. I think one of the themes of creatives creating businesses isn't always, hey, let's do something brand new that's never been done before. Oftentimes, it is actually reinventing the wheel, per se, and just doing something that's old but giving it a fresh burst of energy and influence. Take this podcast. Shark Bite Biz is a business podcast. There's a million different business podcasts out there, but I view that I do it a little bit different. I put my spark of creativity, I throw in my flair, and ultimately I think it gives the show a fresh angle, which is presumably why you are all checking out this episode. So we're going to chat about this and more stuff about being a creative business owner with today's guest, Charlie Fusco. TGC Worldwide is led by founder, CEO, and artistic director, Charlie Fusco. Over the last 10 years, Charlie has advised and helped nurture countless businesses by playing the part of CMO and creative director. She has helped her clients increase revenues from the tens of thousands of dollars into the millions, birth new brands, monetize messaging, created lucrative customer loyalty programs, repositioned products to sell for a premium, and has become an industry connector. So without further ado, let's bring Charlie on in here. Small Biz Spotlight. Charlie, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. So glad to have you here today. David, thanks for having me. I, uh, I love the name of the podcast. Uh, I, I'll tell you why in a little while, but... Uh... <laughs> Great, great to be here. 
Okay. Well, I, I can't wait to hear why you like the podcast. That's a good story. But uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. First thing we have to ask you out the gate, we ask everybody, okay, what's your experience? What's your background? What's your expertise? What makes Charlie, Charlie? Wow. Uh, so I'll give you the nutshell. And then if you want me to go deeper, just ask away. But, oh, uh, yeah. you know, I grew up uh, wanting to be a documentary filmmaker. Uh, I'm a writer just by nature, but I uh, went and I applied to all the film schools and all the directing schools. And I ended up um, going to Northwestern for a while for directing. And then I transferred and went to Boston University. And I had these huge hopes that I was going to make these epic films about other people's lives. And I was just intrigued. Right. It was like this weird historian in me. And so I get into um, university and um, like all good girls do, I screwed up my paperwork and lost my full ride uh -huh. at Boston University. Uh, uh. I'm not checking off the box. And so I was immediately thrust into, I could call home and tell my parents that I lost my four-year full ride and, and uh, scholarship and housing, mm -hmm. or I could do the safer thing, which was just figure out how to work my way through school. So I did, um, never told my parents that I lost all that, transferred to the colleges. And so I started working like any job that would pay me money in between my classes. And yeah. that included um, some not so sexy jobs. When you did that, though, you were still younger, right? Yeah. I mean, you were still like, okay, because uh, I, I, went, I went directly to the job market as well, too. And that's where I kind of like, okay, I'm really starting to peak, I think, as far as I can get on my own. And this is during the recession back 2008, 2009. And I was like, okay, you know, let's go out, uh, get that degree so people take me more serious and I can move up. And it actually, it worked out. So I'm proud of it. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. you know, the journey's a little bit crazy. So I went to college when I was 17. And by oh, the time wow. I lost my scholarship, I wasn't even 18. Um, so I started uh, just taking any job that would take me, right? And I, and I did everything from working at a nightclub as a cage dancer, you know, clothed, but uh, doing that. <laughs> and um, I worked at Kinko's for a long time. I worked as a photographer and then I was still going to school because there was just no way I was going to sort of lose out on school and, and Nora was going to tell my parents. And so as I went through there, I got all these random sort of um, skills that I was like, what do I need any yeah. for? And then I ended up in Portland, Maine, which is only important because Portland, Maine at the time was this epicenter of call centers and radio and television infomercial companies. And so people like Tony Robbins were getting their start back on when books on tape wow. were important. And so I moved there and I got a job as a copywriter, again, just trying to pay bills. And I got a job as a copywriter at this radio agency and they were competing with the TV agency. And so before I knew it, I was um, one line about my age because I just needed people to hire me. So everyone <laughs> thought I was older. And, um, Background checks back then were probably a little bit easier too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could get into a nightclub with a check cashing card uh, and just said you what? forgot your license. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, all sorts of things. And so I started working at this radio company and they were selling products on radio. So you'd, mm -hmm. the morning DJ would interview you and, and you'd call this 800 number and it would go in. 
And then very quickly, I said, how come you guys don't do TV? We don't know how, it's too expensive. And I said, oh, well, I'm fully trained in television. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I left out the part if I had taken a couple of film courses. And so I got my first infomercial directing job when I was 19, yeah. baked my way through it. It um, ended up doing $50 million in sales the first year, right? Which is- Wow. Completely- Did you say 15 million or 50 yeah. million? 50, 50 million in sales. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so when that happens, your boss looks at you and says, I don't know what just happened, but um, we don't care. It's superstition. And so I was just basically um, flown to all these conventions and to meet other people and go find the next mm-hmm. product. Again, not knowing my real age, they would send me to New Orleans with you know the producer for at the time, Howard Stern, who would yeah. be a strip clubs and like negotiate because that's what radio people did. And so I just had this really bizarre experience in my initial stages. And then um, I, oops, got pregnant. Uh, my husband and I got married. I got pregnant three years into the job and decided at this point I had then produced for this company, you know, tens and tens and tens of uh, half hour infomercials. So I just was doing that. Started my own production company at uh, 24. And then for 20 years, if you could die from it, I sold it on TV, in radio, TV, commercials, print, direct mail, with celebrities, without celebrities, potions, lotions, creams, and um, owned my own agency, had a call center, media buying division, celebrity acquisition, and, um, and you were you you were 24 when you were doing all this. Yeah, I was tw- I was 24. I didn't know any better. Um, I, I really but didn't. Still, know. that's 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 incredible because you know, yeah, occasionally you know, 24 year old makes it uh, big. There's always exception to the rules, but a lot of people, you know, they're still trying to find themselves and who they are and find that direction in life. And it seems like you kind of figured it out relatively early and even messing up and losing the scholarship money. I mean, it sounds like it worked out for you. Well, I mean, if you fast forward to the end, sure. It worked yeah. out. It was a bumpy working out, right? There was right. a lot in between, um, learned a lot and was so incredibly young in the industry. And the people that were hiring me were like veterans. So you name it, I've made the mistake in contract law. I've made the mistake in celebrity law, in um, merchant processing, Um, you know, and then I I also made the mistake of growing my business by 250 employees the year before everything burst, right? So I also learned what it was like to be a business owner when everything goes wrong. And um, that's got to be a good experience for right now. Yeah. So right now, and that's just funny because come March, I was like, I can't believe I'm going to go through this again. But, um, you know, I, so I was, I was very successful doing that. And about three and a half years ago, I just said, I can't sell another thing on television that I wouldn't buy that I don't care about. You know, I have three children and, you know, they would come home and it was almost like a joke. Like, what, what are you hawking now, mom? And they weren't even my products, right? It was just my agency. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of my clients in that um, decade plus had massive success. Like we would make a great, huge infomercial campaign. And then from that money, they would go and start other companies or they would start philanthropic, you know, philanthropic mm-hmm. organizations or foundations. And I got to see a lot of my clients sort of go from this period of success to then succession, right? To their legacy. Right. 
And they would call up and say, hey, Charlie, we have this idea. We don't know how to put it together. What do you think? And because I now had, you know, um, directed and filmed over 200 commercials on television, I had written book, ghost written books, all things, this weird set of skills I had. And I found myself getting hired out by very wealthy CEOs and captains of industry to, to sort of figure out their next business idea. Um, okay. With venture capitalists and hedge fund people to say, you know, hey, is that worth investing? And so I um, sold my agency's assets about three and a half years ago. And I started TGC or That Girl Charlie Worldwide. And yeah. we um, specifically focus Oh, on that girl, Charlie. There we go. I was wondering, what is TGC? <laughs> and I saw on the webpage that uh, I guess it was like your, your company area or something like that where it had info about your company. And there's a page called uh, That Girl, Charlie. But it didn't click the me, TGC. <laughs> duh. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so really what I got really passionate about is that I could tell somebody else's story so much better than they could. You know, I had these yeah. millionaires and billionaires coming to me saying, Hey, Charlie, I have this weird idea. I don't know how to make it work, but this is what I'm seeing in my head. And I could spit it back out to them and say, is this what you mean? And we could create something out of it. Um, what did we create a documentary? We've done a lot of those. Um, did we sell books to Hollywood and make films? Yes. Do we have New York times bestselling books? Sure. Um, social media accounts. So what I, love doing now is I'm going to be talking to you when I'm going to do my book. I mean, you think you have a fun story? I, uh, when I was uh, 18, this is, you know, we're talking a month after two months because it was November 2001. So it was two months after September 11th. I ended up moving from a small town in Pennsylvania out to Tijuana, Mexico by myself mm -hmm. uh, and lived in Mexico for like 15 years. It's it's been a crazy crazy trip for me too. That's amazing. So I grew up in Ensenada. Ensenada, there so, you go, there you go. I <laughs> I worked for uh, the Secretary of Tourism for Baja California for two years. Yeah. Uh, Ensenada, I love it. It's one of my favorite places. I love the food, la bufadora. I love going to the Valle de Guadalupe, which is uh, for those that don't know, it's Mexico's wine valley. And it is amazing. It is incredible. Some of the best food in the world you can find in that, that valley. Um, my favorite place is Doña Estelas. Uh, good friends of mine. But sorry, you got sidetracked there. No, I, I, I love, love Mexico. I actually yeah. got a Mexican green card. So there you go. Wow, you're better off than me. I was born here, but I uh, pretty much call Mexico home. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you've had an impressive career. So I've got to ask you a fun question, two fun questions. And then I want to get into some of your areas of expertise. First one is, um, what is the most famous product that you had your agency pitch for? Give us an idea, something that you could share. In my old agency, um, for those of you going way back, um, we did one of the first initial Apple stop and sprays where you would spray and wipe the hair away. Oh um, yeah. It was on TV all over. We did um, Dyson vacuum um, for a okay. while. So if you could, you know. I love Dyson. Yeah, it was a great, um, the most famous in terms of sales and what Jimmy Kimmel spoofed on his show and most yeah. people made fun of was a product called Dual Action Cleanse. It was a colon cleanser. 
and it ran for seven years and was the number, it was in the top 10, if not number one, health infomercials for about seven years running. And if wow. you could make fun of people pooping, um, I was at one point known as the queen of poop because I could sell $60 colon <laughs> uh, cleansing kits on television. Um, so wow. And Jimmy Kimmel spoofed it very, very uh, hard on uh, TV, and and it went from there. So, wow, that that is amazing. Uh, well, definitely. And now I'm going to be checking that out on YouTube and seeing if I can find it. I I want to see that Jimmy Kimmel bit. Uh, the other question I wanted to ask you, the fun one, is why do you like the name Check My Biz? Let's hear this story. So the really quick story is um, eight years ago, nine years ago, maybe I was under contract with a publisher and I was going to write a book and it was a business book for women that they wanted me to do. And, and they had a, a title that they had um, picked, allowed me to pick and um, was kind of racy. I ended up having a huge falling out with this publisher. And then I had this like half done manuscript and I did what every author that I encounter now does, which is like, I've got a manuscript, I must rush to publish it and I will not uh, worry about the publisher. Like anybody that can get my book on Amazon must work. And so I um, put this book up on online and I think because of the title, because I didn't know much about this that back then, um, it was it made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list and then was taken off the list the same week um, because we suspect it was the title. And so the, um, so that title sat there and I was like, okay, I didn't even know anybody would buy the silly book that I didn't mean to publish. But my new publisher calls up and says, Hey, wait a minute, you sold all of these copies. You need to, you have a shot to do it. So we will be willing to reprint the book under a new title and then see if you can hit wall street journal and we'll do that right away. And I said, well, okay. Um, so the initial title, the first title, which, um, sold so well, was called brains, boobs, and balls, um, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> entrepreneur lessons for female entrepreneurs. Oh no. Oh no, Charlie. That's not risque at all. Not at all. So the second one was called a new breed of shark and okay. my, my publisher picked it because we're like, Oh, you're in the infomercial business. You know, Kevin Harrington, you've done all these things. It'll be so you know, cool. I was like, okay, whatever. So we republished it with the first um, chapter different so that we could explain why there was another book and we turned it into a marketing lesson. And right. so it was published. And so now there's these two books out there written by me, one called Brains, Boobs and Balls and one called um, A New Breed of Shark. And they were both like, if now if a client came to me with these two books, I'd be like, absolutely not. We're not, this is the most ridiculous thing. So a new breed of shark um, sells like half, not even half as many, like a half a percentage point. Nobody bought the title, like mm -hmm. at all, right? Um, but when I get called for reports or when I do talks at universities, mm -hmm. they, they find me because of brains, boobs, and balls, but they only want me to talk about um, a new breed of shark when I'm there. Right, right, right. Book, right? And so what's been so interesting is I'll do talks at like women's colleges and things. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like female empowerment and power in business. But yet we can't bring the book that, you know, sold so many copies. We have to bring the new breed of shark, which really means nothing, right? Like I'm not right. a new shark, but um, so it's been a, an interesting, weird, like it doesn't sell that title. I can just put the other one out there and it sells because of the title. But if yep. I want to get a university to bring me on campus, it's, 
a new breed of shark. And well, so why like a dagger? Why did you go with a new breed of shark? I could tell you why I went with Shark Bite Biz, what was going through my mind. People were thinking, oh, Shark Tank. I'm like, no, I've, I've honestly never even watched an episode of Shark Tank up until recently. But um, I went with Shark because I think of business sharks. It's a, you know, shark eat shark world, dog eat dog world. And, you know, you've got to be aggressive, have drive. And, you know, you got to be willing to take those big bites. Yeah, well, you know what? So like, that's really similar to what this publisher was advising me. And, and at the time, you know, Shark Tank was on. So there was a lot of people searching for it. I had this huge, you know, uh, background in infomercials. And, you know, there's very few women at that level in infomercials at the time. And uh -huh. they said, oh, look, you can go out and be this new breed of shark and we can capitalize on the search and all these things. And, uh, and I thought, well, cool, because I'm not super aggressive. And I don't like have the shark bite qualities. But whatever you guys want, you're paying for the reprint. And I thought they knew better, right? Um, yep. So I didn't really pick it. Uh, what's so interesting though about that is that, you know, it, you really can judge a book by its cover and people do. And yep. where those books are like, I don't even necessarily um, talk about them so much anymore. They're a really great example of um, what happens on a day-to-day -day basis when people look at themselves um, from a personal branding standpoint. And so, you know, it's just funny every once in a while I'll get a call and they're like, hey, you're the author of A New Breed of Shark. We'd love to introduce you and talk to you about um, what that type of female entrepreneur is. And, and right. I'm like, that's not what the book's about. And I don't know what a new breed of entrepreneur shark, you know, mean woman is. <laughs> so it's been sort of like a great conversation piece and the universities will clear it. But uh, that's about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Pretty interesting tie there. So let's talk a little bit about your expertise. Okay. What are the ways that businesses need to maybe rethink branding strategies in the era of COVID-19, the social issues our country has? I mean, what should companies do? How should they address this? I mean, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people went from making six figures to essentially being laid off and maybe their unemployment starting to run out now, depending where they're at. So what, what do you think you, companies need in this holiday season? Well, I, I mean, I think that, th that you have to think about it, right, in two ways. There's branding, really, which is about when people are talking about your product, what are they saying? What are they feeling? Um, and if you're the personal product or it's a widget, it's the same thing. When you're talking about marketing is, are they willing to spend money um, on that, right? And so this holiday season, we're talking marketing and spending money. I think people have to be really cautious about um, over-delivering value and, and getting people into your product company at a lower rate and letting them build right. a customer. If you're talking about brand equity and brand story and things, I mean, just prior to COVID hitting, um, you know, ESG and impact uh, capitalism, impact investing, impact um, inventions was a really sort of trend and it was hitting. And, and then ESG was just hitting and environmental and social change and all that. And those are becoming really big mm -hmm. selling points and really big brand points. And I think that brands that don't look at that and say, hey, we, we need to be embracing that just as much as we do COVID, right? Mm -hmm. As much as COVID has been this horribly 
disruptive, terrible thing, it will go away. It's going to have side effects. It's going to have lasting effects, but it's going to go away. Just like the recession. Hopefully it goes away. It seems like, uh, you know, I keep thinking I've been saying since August, well, it looks like we're at the tail end of this pandemic and now we're going into December and it's like, we're going to be riding this into 2021 at some point, maybe even longer. I would plan if I'm a, if I'm a business, I'm planning that COVID is part of my life from a business standpoint through 2022, just plan on it one shape or form. But at the same time, I think that brands sometimes think very uh, singular focus, right? Okay. We have to put all of our attention. Very linear. Right. Well, what I would say is a good litmus test for brands going into the holiday, going into 2021 is if you walk up to any 15 year old on the street, in 30 seconds, can you explain what your brand does, what problem or solution it offers and solves? And do they care? They don't need to be your customer, but would they look at you and go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And, and in 10 years, would they be your customer? And if not, then I think you need to step back and look at the way your story is being told and your branding. Right. Because truly, if a 15-year-old doesn't care, they're not going to watch it. And, you know, whether you look at social media and things going viral or YouTube or TikTok or even streaming services, you know, where the ad revenue, where the click through, where all of that is happening is at the hands of 15 to 18 year olds and, and what they're holding in their hand and what they react to. And so even if a 15 year old is not your ideal customer, they should be able to say, okay, that makes sense. Or, okay, I see how that's important in the world. The second you get a 15 year old that says, you know what, that is socially wrong. That um, is wasteful. That is not inclusive. That doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, bring it in. Now, you know, your brand story is wrong. And I think if, if brands right now are looking, whether it's just traditional advertising, um, whether it's how they connect to impact organizations or even new products that they roll out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you better be conscious of a pocketbook right now. But more importantly, you have to be conscious oh, of the impact that you're leaving as a brand. Right, right. Do you think, I mean, what you're saying, it, it does make sense to me, but do you view that that just applies to B2C or do you also view that for B2B type businesses? Um, you know, what's interesting is B2B type businesses are, um, what would you say, symbiotic, right? Or parasitic. Mm-hmm. So B2B businesses rely on the needs and services of other businesses to do it. And so the more successful one business is, the more um, successful they're going to be in a B2B relationship. Right. And I think that even at B2B, when you're trying to support um, another company in B2B, right. you got to look at what's how are they selling? How are they doing sell-through? I mean, even if you're supplying plastic parts to a furniture company, if that furniture mm-hmm. company is not going to be successful, then you're not going to be producing as many plastic parts. Right. You know? And if this furniture company gets bad press because the plastic parts they're being um, supplied with are mm-hmm. somehow devoid of any social conscience, it, it trickles back, right? And there may be a long game in that. So I look at things like COVID short-term is going to impact your business, right? If you look at businesses in cycles of 10 to 20, 30 years, short-term, it's going to impact your business in the next five, two to five years, depending on who you are. Long-term though, if you do not start looking at the story people are telling about your product, your service, you won't have a business after five years. It's just too competitive. There's too many um, technology advances. There's too much social media, word of mouth. 
people actually care now about the story. Stories, yeah, stories are more important than ever. In fact, I'm on a committee with my day job, Vision 33, and we do ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning with SAP Business One. And with that, we, um, you know, we just started like, hey, we have a really good story. Right now is the time of storytelling. We need to be telling the Vision 33 story out there for the world. And, you know, just to go back to the point where you said businesses are dependent upon others, I think, especially in my industry, it's extremely dependent. I mean, I go into the relationship telling them like, look, I'm literally your growth partner. It benefits me if you grow. Why? I'll tell you quite frankly, that, you know, if you grow, that means you're going to need more services, more licenses from me. So my job is to allow you to achieve growth and break through those barriers. And people really, you know, they respond well to that because then, you know, I, I think a lot of people, they get a little bit nervous to talk that bluntly to somebody like, yeah, I want you to buy more off me. But to me, I, mean, I think it's the right thing because it's true. I want them to grow so that they can buy more. It's, it's, it's you know, a win-win for both parties. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, business is business, right? There's certain things that make business work, but there is a global shift. And, and if we don't take into account how that global shift affects our P&L, our sell-through, all of that, that's one mistake. But truly the way that um, we're retelling the story about our products, about the why behind the products, about the people behind our products, every yeah. day in the news, there's some company that's getting slammed because they're not investing in their employees or they're not investing in, you know, uh, economic friendly or uh, eco-friendly programs. And I think that's where all of a sudden, if you hitch your wagon to the wrong B2B relationship, it's going to be a short relationship. Right. And I think I always use, you know, kids at at this 15 year old because they're brutal. Right. They're brutal. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you everything that's wrong. And, and they've already found the dirt on you because TikTok's made a video that they're making fun of it. Right. So mm-hmm. it's a great litmus test. And then also, if you're, um, you know, a 60 year old veteran of a, an industry, uh, it's really easy to be told that your voice is irrelevant, even at this point, if you're 40, 45. Right. And so whether you're B2B or B2C, is doing sort of a check-in. That gets me nervous. I'm, I'm 37 and I see how, I'm in an old school industry, but mm-hmm. everything's scaling, younger, young. I mean, the industry is changing. There, you know, things, ERP isn't as complex as it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. It's become much more streamlined and simple because of the technologies that we have today which allows you to hire less and less experienced people because it's simpler now. And, uh, you know, it's like, wow, you know, where will I be five, 10 years from now once I get into my forties? So, yeah, yeah. well, you know, I'll answer. I think you asked earlier, potentially, you know, what did things look like when, when COVID hit? Right. So, yeah, you know, if you were to just look at the, the fun stuff about what my agency does, you know, we've got a movie under contract in Hollywood. We released five documentaries this past summer. We've got, you know, dozens of books that are in um, production to be Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestsellers. We've got, you know, huge megastar influencer campaigns. We have all the fun stuff, right? That's right. sounds super cool. And um, we work with publicity agencies and we do um, photo shoots and all these kind of really fun things. So then March uh, comes around 
And I remember sitting at my desk going, well, there's no business more non-essential than what I do, right? Because mm-hmm. when when the shit, you know, hits there, like, you don't need to be famous and have a New York Times bestseller and do all of these different things and sell it. And nobody can go to the movies, who cares, right? So I remember sitting there going, there's my branding agency is not essential. Why would anybody right now decide to put dollars there? And so for about a week, I was really stressed out. Like, well, how, how am I going to, you know, get through this period? And it was a week went by and the phone just kept ringing and the emails kept coming through because all of a sudden you name the industry. Mm-hmm. They hit a brick wall of being heard, being seen and heard. And they called up and they said, Hey, Charlie, we need a new way to be seen and heard. Right. Hey, Charlie, I have a huge idea that I had had on the shelf and I, I think now's the time to release it, but I don't know how to talk about it without seeming insensitive. Hey, um, this diversity and inclusion problem, we didn't even know it was a problem. We're not equipped to, to comment. And so whether it was book releases or um, taking physical in-person trainings and turning them into digital remote trainings or um, retitling of books or retraining media on how to appear on a podcast or uh, changing your sales game when it came to uh, media distributors. It really, the, the clients that we have now came out of the woodwork and said, hey, wait a minute, I need a new way to talk to people in the world. My products need a new way to be explained and talked about. And so right. we, uh, you know, knock on wood, actually have become incredibly essential um, and understand that about ourselves now. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to slow down, I don't think, because COVID, the elections, the social change, all of these things are going to continue to snowball until they get to this point of, you know, critical change. And until everything changes, you're going to, you as a business owner are going to have to keep changing, pivoting, refining what it is you're saying and talking about. Right, right. No, totally, totally understood. So is that how you think that your your company, your expertise, your agency is able to help the you know, your customers by being able to rebrand and get that correct message out for them? So it's certainly one, one way, um, you know, mm-hmm. when you say branding agencies, a lot of people have this idea. Well, it's like you make logos and you design pretty websites. Sure. We do those things. Um, or you think, Oh, I don't know if you heard that. We're in the middle of a thunderstorm. Oh, you know, or you think PR, uh, you're going to yeah. get in magazine article, you're going to give me TV interview. Sure, we can we do that. When we look at branding, we look at it in a very specific way. Omni-channel media. Is your right. story important on Instagram? Does anybody care about it on Fox News? And if it was a 280-page book, would anybody read it? And why would anyone in Hollywood care to put you on a Netflix or Hulu series? And is your blog worth reading? So we look at every media. We're agnostic. We don't care. And we say, how do you get your message out there? Because now more than ever, you know, if you're an audiobook reader, you're an audiobook reader. You're not buying a book. If you're um, a certain age, you're still watching the news channels, ABC and Fox, and all those things. If you're a certain age, you never turn on the TV. It's your laptop or your phone, right? So you no longer as a person, a brand, and we deal with a lot of CEOs that are personal brands. I call them the Steve Jobs of the industry, right? Yep. Where they're their uh, personal influence is growing an idea. You now need to be omni 
channel media agnostic. And that's what we do differently than any PR agency or any branding agency is we look, how do we tell your story better and more consistently regardless of who's asking? And that's really right. No, that that's pretty gnarly. I mean, yeah, just to back it up. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. I don't even watch live TV anymore. I mean, there's two times that I watch TV to watch my Philadelphia Eagles fly. Mm-hmm. Um, which they've been flying very low this season. And also to, you know, if something, a special event, you know, some kind of big news story, like once the pandemic broke out, you know, I was watching TV for the first couple weeks in my office right there. But outside of that, I mean, nothing. I, it's oh, just straight up mobile. Yeah, they watch TV with this in their hand. Because yep. not only if you're on watching it, you're fact-checking. You're seeing what I did. And and that's really similar whether, you know, I tell people, why do people go to Amazon first to look for your product? They go for the review. It's easiest. Well, it's easy, but they want to see what everyone's saying, right? So it can be on your website trying to buy a product you're selling, but they will double open their screen and go and look at the reviews because of course you're going to lie on your website how great your product Mm -hmm. is, right? So this like sort of omni-channel media is really, Mm -hmm. it's like going to high school. You had your close group of friends but you want to know if somebody checks in on you, what they're going to be saying in the other I, end. Yeah, I was totally about to say that too. I mean, it, it sounds like, and I think so, people are more isolated, like in silos right now, I think, with how they, they do things, how they think. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it definitely feels that way. And that's where having the omnipresence as you're describing it, I think is really critical for brand success. It is critical. And I I think that when we um, consult with or look at people that we want to work with, we always try to put them in an ecosystem, right? Because as you were mentioning earlier, how do we support if we're in a B2B relationship? So we, even as a company, only want to bring on clients that if we were all in a room together, those clients and their businesses or their their actions, whether they're philanthropic or mm-hmm. other, could grow and support each other. Now, do all of our clients know each other? No. Do many of them get introduced? Yes. Um, but when we create that ecosystem, it allows us to one, double check our own brand standards as an agency, two, double check our own efficiencies and then how we play with our vendor partners. But at the same time, we plan for this future. So what if something happens and all of our clients need a little bit of rise to the top? We can create a bigger commotion and emotion there. And so right. um, that's, we've been really conscientious about the types of people that we bring on and, and call clients, right? And I just think right. now, whether you're an agency owner or you're the end product user, the client, you have to look at where should you be spending the majority of your time? And- Oh and, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. So one last final question here we got for you, and then we'll let you give out all your good information is, you know, how can you use your influence as a force for good? Oh, there's, I mean, I could do a whole podcast just on that alone. Um, You know, there's so many existing ways that you can um, positively impact Mm -hmm. people, places, uh, finances, you know, there's this new fun website called by b1g1.com and we allow any company to come in and help donate to micro causes. Um, we have, I'd say about half of our clients have their own foundations 
And what they do is bake in um, giving an impact into their business model through these foundations. You, um, there is so much collaboration now, especially in the influencer and the celebrity world. Many of the celebrities have their own charities, their own movements and things. And so if you get really creative about what your product or service is or what you're trying to do, and you think about the end user, what's important to the end user, it may not be the product they're buying from you, but it may be something there. And if you can hit your train in a really authentic and meaningful way to something the end user cares about, now you can create that movement of change. And I think um, I call them impact partners. There are so many ways to pick up a phone or send an email and say, hey, I see that you're um, helping kids in this area, or I see that you're putting kids through scholarship programs here, or I see that you're giving extra training at work for people who maybe didn't get professional training coming up. Whatever the impact is that you're passionate about, you will be surprised how quickly somebody responds to you and says, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how you can get involved. And um, I think that's so, so critical the, the bigger point, though, is if it is not authentic to you and your brand, and when I mean authentic, I mean, like, mm-hmm. are you just doing it because you want to be able to say, hey, look, donate, right? That will come going through. through the motions. Yeah, it will come through so quickly. And guess what? It won't work. I've just seen it. It just won't work. Like, you won't sell enough product. You won't make a dent. Um, and people call that out, too. If they feel like you're going through the, the motions and you're just, uh, you know, given token appreciations out and stuff. People call that out. They don't let it uh, slide. People are quite vocal these days. They are. And you know, one of the fun things that we get to do is sometimes a, a potential client will call and this is our, our favorite, they'll call and they'll say, hey, we heard you know how to make us a New York Times bestseller. So we want to do that. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do is I spend 45 minutes telling them why they don't want to do that, why it's a very big waste of their money. And, but I say to them, why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, because if I get that acclaim, then I can get my message out. Well, what's your message? And then as we go through the Q&A, I get down and go, oh, okay, great. So you really want to impact this group. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Great. What if we make three phone calls and we impact this group this week and you don't even have to write a book? You know. <laughs> and I think when you start thinking about um, creatively ping-ponging in your mind, right. what it is you're passionate about as a business owner, what it is your team is passionate about and Mm -hmm. your clients and customers are passionate about it is so easy to create multiple levels and endpoints for impact wow no that's great this has been some incredible information i love this discussion definitely a lot to unpack here uh so how charlie how can people reach out to you uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, you can go to thatgirlcharlie.com. There's a little bit about me there. Uh, my agency is tgcworldwide.com, like thatgirlcharlieworldwide.com. And everything you need to know is there. I'm on social. Uh, pretty easy girl to find. Yeah, we'll be looking you up on TikTok. Oh, no. My kids <laughs> are not allowed on TikTok. I'm not oh, allowed on TikTok. <laughs> your kids banned you from TikTok. Oh. Uh, they, they're like, Mom, absolutely not. We need something that is our own. So, uh, I'm not allowed to go to the TikTok. I, I don't, I get the same thing at my house, so I know exactly how you feel, but Hey, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you here. And I'm very thankful that you came on. Hey David, super appreciate it. Love what you're doing. Thanks so much. No problem. Cheers. Wow. Carly has an amazing story. Talk about somebody who was a go-getter at a very young age, 
well beyond where her peers were at that same time. Truly stunning. But first, if you found this episode with Charlie Helpful, do me a solid. Smash that like button, and more importantly, smash that subscribe button. Let's make it rain at Sharkbite Biz. If, but if you really, really want to help, though, let's make sure that Sharkbite Biz and Charlie Fusco go viral. So let's share this video throughout your whole social network and help grow this community. Now, let's get back to the incredible Charlie. I know she had a morality lightning bolt that struck her, and she started thinking, wow. I'm not just going to hawk off products I couldn't buy myself. And that is a huge, huge business decision. Too many people out there are really good at selling pure crap. Don't be like that. Sell something good and something that you believe in. When somebody can really get behind something they believe in, the efforts go so much more further than just somebody selling for the sake of selling. Nowadays, people really can see the difference if it's in genuine. Be genuine. Sell stuff you love. Another interesting story with Charlie there was about her book <laughs> and how she said that you can judge a book by its cover. And I think that's an extremely valid point. There are some times that it is absolutely true. Some people just have this uncanny ability to tell if a person is a certain way and can judge their character. I think I'm a pretty solid judge of character, but... I'm not always correct, so you have to be careful because if you are wrong, you could be losing out. Charlie also said, don't be so linear. Think about options and plan on COVID being around for 2021, all of 2021. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Nobody really knows what the future will hold at this point, and that is really solid business advice. Lastly, the elevator pitch to the 15-year-old, that was a really, really cool concept. I'm actually pretty impressed by that concept. I never thought about it that way. If a 15-year-old gets it, yeah, there's probably something there. If they don't, then probably not. I would argue, though, that it's probably not something that would be universal for everything. But I think the gist of what Charlie was saying, especially in some certain areas could really be a good litmus test to see if what is there is actually there. So yeah, this was a fun video with some great conversation. What did you think? Today's discussion question, it's a fun one. What odd product have you bought off of an infomercial? Leave a comment down below and give us your late night shopping spree experience. Do you want to be a guest in the show? You got a good business story? You want to talk about your career transformation? You want to talk about your subject matter expertise? You want to tell us how you or your customers have had to pivot during this global pandemic? Shoot me an email, david at sharkbitebiz.com. And as always, remember, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you all again next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. 
We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 